The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. So last week we've been in the we've been in a series on Luke, the Gospel of Luke, uh, call it Cross and Crown, but we're t- we pause for a couple of weeks every year to talk about what does it mean to be the kind of church that we feel that we're supposed to be like. We feel it's important enough to talk about that we need to pause and cover it. And so last week we talked about how the definition of the church is that the church is the new community of redeemed people who display the beauty of Jesus. The church is the new community of redeemed people who display the beauty of Jesus. We talked about how uh, when I mentioned the word church, everybody in this room probably pictures something slightly different. You picture your background. You picture what it is that you view church as. Some of us view it as a club that we're a part of. Some people view it as a, uh, a product or a service that we consume, just like another restaurant or a business that we might go to. Some of us view church as a, a, a we went around the, the, the room in Doxa 101 and Onrick said it, church is family. Like, what is, what is church to you? What do you picture church as being? And the picture that Jesus has of his church, the church that he came and died for, is that it's a community of redeemed people who display the beauty of Jesus. There's a man in, uh, outside Chicago, I mentioned him last week, Bill Hybels, and he said the local church is the hope of the world. And what he means by that is that when people from outside the church, people who do not know Jesus, who, people who have not met him, so when you and I, if you are a worshiper of Jesus, some of, not everyone in this room is right now, but if you are a worshiper of Jesus, you've discovered him to be the, the source of, of all of life and joy. You've discovered him to be the, your savior and your Lord, but not everybody feels that way and sees him in that way. And so what people should see when they look from outside the church into our community is they should see something there that makes them say, wow, this thing about Jesus must be at least, I need to at least give it a second thought because I see a type of life, a type of love, a type of interaction between the people there that looks different than what I'm used to. Jesus said that you will, they will know that you are my disciples. Why? Because of your love for one another. And that means not a kind of love for the people who are like you and like me because really what kind, of, what kind of love does it take to love somebody who's like you? I like Clemson, I like coffee, I like to eat, I like uh, to read. Uh, you, you know, if, if, if I hang out with people who have those type of interests all the time, like, it's really no big deal. It's just people who happen to share the same interests as I have. It's when I'm around people who, have a, who come from a different culture, a different race, who have a different temperament than I have, that we learn to love each other and bear with each other and live with each other and not just to tolerate each other, but to value each other because of our differences and to learn about Jesus in you, things that I cannot know in myself because your story is different than mine. If you're a different race, a different, from a different culture, if you have a different natural temperament and God has saved you and brought you to himself, I need to know your story because that's gonna tell me more about who God is than I know just in myself. And it's when people from inside and outside see that kind of setting that it is remarkable to them. What we're saying is that there is no longer any outsider to us, or we are no longer an outsider to anyone else because Jesus became the outsider for us. 
Jesus took the shame and he was taken outside the city and suffered the death of a sinner, the death of a criminal, a death of shame, so that you and I can no, would no longer have to live in shame. And we'd no longer have to live feeling like we're the outsider and no longer live trying to put ourselves above anybody else and making them the outsider to us because I don't have to puff myself up or push other people down in order to get my sense of self-worth to go up because my sense of self-worth is based upon the fact that the Son of God gave himself for me. And that changes the whole ballgame. That's what enables people of different races, cultures, and temperaments to live together in peace. God has determined to call a people from every nation, every tribe, every language and tongue, united by the blood of Jesus to be a new race, a new nation, a new culture. So we talked about last week in 1 Peter we see it in heaven in Revelation 7. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And it's in this divergent yet united body that we see, we enjoy, and we declare who Jesus is. Now, there's lots of pictures in Scripture about what the church is, a lot of different illustrations. The church is called the bride of Christ. You guys ever heard that before? It can kind of sound weird to some of us, the bride of Christ. It's called the body of Christ. In some places, it's called a building or a temple. Last week, First Peter mentioned that. It says that we are all together like living stones being built together into a, the temple or the building that Christ, uh, Jesus, inhabits on the earth. But, but my favorite picture is the one that's used most often in the New Testament. And that's the term that we are the family of God. And it's, it's all over the New Testament, but just a couple of examples. In Galatians 6.10, we are called, the church is called the household of faith. In Ephesians 2.19, we are called members of the household of God. Now, before we move on from that, just think about what that would mean. What would that mean if you are a son or a daughter of God? What kind of privileges would you have access to? And just think, if you were the son or daughter of a billionaire, what kind of privileges would you have access to that you don't now? Well, you, if you're a believer, are a son or daughter of the Most High God. You are a, a member of the household of the Almighty Creator, God. You have infinite value upon yourself because God has placed infinite value on you through his son and has adopted you as sons and daughters. But if you were adopted and you're adopted and you're adopted into the household of God, and you're a son of God, and you're a son of God, and you're a daughter of God, and you're a daughter of God, what does that make us to each other? It makes us brothers and sisters to each other. It makes us a family to each other. There's no concept of being a part of the family of God without actually having brothers and sisters. And I don't know what your family's like, but I don't always get along with, as great as my sisters are, they come here, as great as my sisters are, as great as my cousins are, my parents are, I don't always get along well with them. It's not always the family that I might picture myself coming from. 
We don't always see things the same way. That's the beauty of being a part of a family, is belonging to each other, knowing just how terrible you are and how you knowing how terrible I am, and yet we still love each other in the midst of the terribleness. It gives a great sense of belonging to each other. In 1 Timothy 3.15, we're called the household of God, which is the church of the living God. The New Testament is full of references to fellow believers in deep, intimate terms. We're called brothers, sisters. There's references where Paul talks to Timothy and he says, I'm your father in the faith. There's references that we're going to see real quick in a second where there's an idea that older women are like older sisters or mothers to their younger sisters in the faith. There's a deep, intimate belonging that we have to each other because when, we, when you are born again, which is what happens when you're a believer, you are born again. When you are born again, you're born into a new family. In 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 2, uh, Paul is writing to Timothy, who he called his son in the faith, and Timothy is a young pastor at a church in, at the church in Ephesus. And he gives him instructions and he says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Doesn't that change the way that we should view church when we come in a gathering like this or we gather with people at a community group or we meet each other to grab coffee at Starbucks or whatever? Shouldn't that view the way that we view each other differently? You're not just some person that happens to go to the same church I go to like we both happen to shop at, shop at Target because the world is divided into Target people and Walmart people. Let's just be honest. It's more than just that we happen to go to the same building on a Sunday morning we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And just like brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers have to each other, we have a responsibility to each other. And we have a claim on each other's time. In the section that we read in the scripture reading this morning, uh, Paul is writing to Titus and he talks about how older men are to live their life. They're to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and steadfastness. Then he addresses older women. It says they're to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. He talks about how the how young women are to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure. And he says, also young men are to be self-controlled and show themselves a model of good works. You know what is there in that description? is a picture that the church is not only a family, but the family is multi-generational. That older women and older men and younger men and younger women should be with each other and mixing together. There should be intergenerational interaction going on with each other. And the problem is that most churches or what we have been used to, and I won't say most churches, but what we've been used to most of the time in recent past in America is you're a kid and you go to Sunday school or children's church 
You get to be a teenager and you go to youth group. You get to be college age and you go to college ministry. You get to be a young adult and you're in a young adult class. You're young married. You're always around people who are like you in your stage of life. And there's, that, there's, a, lot of, there's a lot great there to share life with people who are in a similar, similar stage of life. But what that can tell us sometimes is that church is about you meeting you where you are and catering to your needs. And that's not what a family is like. A family bears with your older uncle or aunt who takes a little bit longer to get upstairs. Family is about bearing with the young kids who are running around and you want to pull your hair out. Family is about bearing with each other and living with each other, mixing together. Intergenerational interaction is how a family passes on its story. How do you know your family's story? It's from sitting around around a family dinner or Christmas or some holiday and you hear the stories of who we are. This is who we are. And it's only when you're around people who are at a different stage of life that you can hear the story of what it means to be a part of the family of God. Intergenerational interaction is how a family passes on its values. Intergenerational Interaction is how a family passes on its knowledge from one generation to the next. Why do you see certain, generation, certain families that are successful generation after generation after generation financially? Because they've learned some lessons about life and they pass it on to their kids and their kids pass it on to them. How do we pass on the knowledge of what it means to grow in the Lord and to find joy in him and to find satisfaction in him and be a better girlfriend or boyfriend or fiance or spouse or father or mother or businessman or woman is through intergenerational interaction. That interaction is how a family provides a sense of belonging. These are the people that I'm I'm a part of. The truth is that we need to be around people that aren't our own age. We need to be around people who aren't, who aren't our own age because the younger people, people who are younger in age or younger in the Lord, they need the wisdom of those who have been around the block a few times. When you're young, you tend to think that you know everything, and the older you get, the more you realize that you don't. As that famous Mark Twain saying that when I was 14, I thought my dad was a fool, and then when I got 21, I thought, man, he's learned a lot in the past seven years. But it's only by being around people who have been around more times than you have that you're able to gain from their wisdom and their knowledge. And frankly, when you're older, you need to be around people who are younger in age and younger in the Lord because their zeal rubs off on you. We need each other. We need need each other to remind ourselves that church and life isn't about me. It's not about whether the music pleases me all the time or the way that we do things pleases me all the time, that we're a family, and those who are older love the younger, and those who are younger love the older, and we learn and gain from each other. The church family being intergenerational, and I'm pulling this into the, the end here, respects and passes on for God's sake. A church family respects and passes on for God's sake. This calls for a humble posture towards each other. 
That it's whenever I go to community group or I go to church or I interact with other people, it's not about how, how did this go for me today. When you lead church, and let's just be honest, I know you guys do it. The music was good today. The sermon, man, Randy was off today. That's okay. I know that you guys do that. But is church about you and about me and about pleasing us or is it about pleasing God? Am I a part of a family trying to figure out how can I pass on what I know and what I have gained to those who are younger than me in age or the faith? And then how can I learn from those who have been further than I am so that I can grow in the faith? And how can I respect those who are further down the road? And how can I pass on what I've gained to those who are a bit behind me? Real quick, how does this happen? It happens when we are intentional to be around those who are in a different stage of life. To be intentional around those who are in a different stage of life. The community group that Hunter and I are a part of, uh, we have people, we have several families who are in a similar stage, and then we have several people who are further on in life. And I love that interaction. We have people who grew up it, some had some privilege, some who were, grew up in poverty. And I love being in that room and sharing life and praying for each other and learning from each other. It's a beautiful picture. And then it also happens when we practice generational generosity to other people. When we practice generational generosity. You know what that means? That means that the music isn't always gonna be what we like. It might be a bit too loud or a bit too hemmy. It may be a little bit too many drums or not enough drums. The bass is too loud or it's not loud enough. But we offer generosity to each other because we're gonna humbly pass on if we're further down the road and we're gonna humbly respect and learn from those who are further down the road. The picture that we get in scripture of what the church is to look like is to be a multi-generational, multicultural church of people from every different, as many different cultures and races and temperaments and ages that we can get together in a room and love each other, and love Jesus, pass on what we've learned and gained from what other people who have been further down the road have gotten. And if you're a believer, that should excite you and entice you. It's full of challenges, but it is a beautiful thing we see happen, and that's what we wanna see happen here for God's glory and for our joy. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.